Just Titzavah. Parshas Titzavah is very technical. Most of the Rashis, almost all of them, 80%, are dimensions and material and how the clothing were made. Very important, very hard Rashis. I recommend when you study Rashi this Shabbos, to just get a safer or even look online, and obviously on Shabbos, to actually see the Big Dekuna. Truma Titzavah are Rashis you have to read while you're seeing the pictures, while you're seeing the visuals. So anyway, so we'll talk a little bit about some of the Rashis that aren't as technical. Okay, there are three Isurim that pertain to the Klei HaMikdash and the Big Dekuna. People don't know about this. One Isur is that you can't remove the Badim from the Aron. If you remove the Badim from the Aron, then you violate an Isur, not just that the Aron is, is puzzle. Another one is Lo Yikarea. You're not allowed to tear the Me'il. The Me'il was that overcoat that I spoke about last night, that over long, like a toga-like coat with the Pamonim, Vrimonim on the bottom. But according to most we've shown in Pashas of the Gemara, the Isser of tearing the Me'il, though it was stated by the Me'il, it's a general Isser. You can't tear any of the big Dekuna because of the honor you must show them. Again, only according to most we've shown him, a tear that would be a way that's destructive. If you tear it in a way that you know, it's undestructive, you may not violate the biblical Isser, the Isser But there's one specific Isser that I'm talking about today, and that's you're not allowed to move the Choshen from its attachment to the Ephod. So let me just explain to you what the Choshen was, what the Ephod was, and how they were attached, or at least you can visualize. The Choshen was something he wore on his chest. They have 12 gemstones, one gemstone for each Shevet, with the names, with the colors appropriate for the Shevet. And that gemstone was tight. On each corner, there were little tabot, or little rings, and there were um, like almost like chain-like connections, both to the ephod on the bottom. The ephod was an apron, like a skirt, we call it like a skirt, basically, covering his bottom part, covering the pants. And so it was attached here, say from the bottom of the breastplate, the chest plate, down to the ephod. It was held in one way, and then on the top, was attached to the shoulder stones, these two big stones called Avnei Hashem, which we'll talk about on the shoulders, and then all the way back on the other side down to the ephod. So it was fixed in place. The, the Choshen, even though it would seem like something that would move, right? It's a little, like if, if you were a necklace, if you were like these big necklaces that people wear, they jostle around, they jump around when you move. It was held in place against his body, and it was attached to the ephod. Okay. That makes sense. You don't want it to move around. You don't want it to jingle around while he's walking. The problem is the Torah says it's usher for it to move. If it moves off of the aphode, then it's usser. Why is it usser? Well, that's a big question. That's a $48,000 question in Pasha Tzatzapha. The is to tear big tekun. That would make sense. It's disrespectful. This is to remove the badin from the Aaron. It makes sense. The Aaron is the Makam You don't want to short circuit the Makam What could possibly be wrong if the Hoshim moves a little? It's not attached to the aphode. No one knows the answer to that question. I mean, there are many, many ideas that are suggested. The clue, possibly, to this answer lies in a Rashi. Okay, so that's everything we've said right now is just introducing the Rashi. Okay? When the Torah describes the Isser for the Choshen to be dislodged from its attachment to the Ephod, the Torah uses a word that appears only once in Tanakh. The Lo Yizach. Yud Zayin Ches. Yud Zayin Chet. Lo Yizach. What does Lo Yizach mean? No one knows. Because it's not something that appears anywhere else in Tanakh. So Rashi quotes a very well-known grammarian of the day, uh, not of the day, but very well-known, we don't study grammar as much, but in the days that we've shown them, grammar was part of, was part of their, was part of their learning. There were big debates about grammar of the Evan Ezra, so unfortunately we don't study it as much. But he quotes Dunash. Dunash was a very, very famous, one of the earliest Hebrew grammarians. 
So Rashi quotes Dunash, which is very, very rare. So just when you follow Rashi, maybe you want to look up some bio information on Dunash. And Dunash writes that this word Yizach, Yud Zayin Ches, is not a Jewish word. It comes from Arabic. Rashi's language is Lashon Nituk, it shouldn't be dislodged, that's what it means, once it tells what it means. And Rashi says Lashon Aravihu, it's an Arabian word, it's an Arabic word. Okay? This is something I've talked about before, since there are a couple guys who haven't heard this shirim before. Anytime the Torah uses a foreign word, <laughs> you have to ask yourself, why does Hashem use the foreign word to convey a message when he could have used Hebrew? Said otherwise, if you study literature, what's the relationship between form and substance? The substance is what it means. The form is the style by which you convey the idea. So, for example, just give you two examples because it's something to train your eye to see. When the Torah writes, Yigar Sadusa, Lavan's way of referring to Galeid, Yigar Sadusa, Rashi says it's a foreign language in Parshas Vayishlach. Why? After all, it's called Galeid, right? That's how Yaakov called it. So why does the Torah also write Yigar Sadusa? To show how different Yaakov's perspectives and Lavan's perspective were about this peace tree. They called it different names, and Lavan called it a name that Yaakov didn't even know what it meant. He knew what the language was, but it was a foreign name. Or when the Torah tells us not to be abusive to Yifas Torah, Losis Amirba, Tachas Asher Nisa. Rashi says, this Amirba is not a Hebrew language, it's a Persian language to denote inappropriate sexual manipulation with Abbas. Why? Because it's not, it's not what we do. We're not Mzam. We so when the Torah describes them, it should be so far from your lexicon that it's not even in your lexicon, it's not even in your vocabulary. So, this is the clue. Something about moving the Choshen off of the ephod is foreign to our entire religious system, and even in describing it, the Torah uses a word that isn't Jewish. She uses the word that now it's Jewish because it's in the Torah, but its source isn't Jewish. That's the hint. There's something so fundamentally foreign about the Choshen being dislodged from the ephod that it's Aser, and to describe the issue of the Torah it takes a word from Arabic. And now, what is it? It's still hard to know, but here's my thoughts. Okay? The Hoshin was a very, very colorful, in two ways, part of the Beit Teikun. It was very colorful. Torah tells us all the different gemstones. But it's also, as we use the word colorful, because every time Am Yisrael had a question, they asked the Urim Vitrumim. And the Urim Vitrumim contained the Shem Hashem. And somehow, the message was delivered back to Am Yisrael. Vinishol Barim Vitrumim. According to Chazal, different stones lit up, and, okay? Now that's Ruach HaKodesh. But it also can look very, very Greek. In Greece, what did you do? You went to the oracle. And you asked the oracle for information about what to do. And you performed black magic, and the oracle told you. So how do you make sure that the answers coming from the Choshen don't become something that looks like Avodah Zarah or Greek oracles or whatever, which is not part? You have to make sure that that Choshen is always on the chest of the Kohen, and he's basically Kohen Gadol. He's always involved in the Avodah. So it's essentially part of the Mikdash, just like Hashem spoke to Moshe from on top of the Aaron, Hashem spoke to Am Yisrael through the Urim Vitrumim, which is fascinating. By the way, why do we need Urim Vitrumim? Why does the Kaddish Baruch Hu just give us the answers to the Aaron? Hashem is always talking to Moshe to the Aaron. That's a separate question. Why do you need two tracks? One track to speak to Moshe Me'alakaparis, one track to give the answers to the Urim Vitrumim. We don't have enough time to delve into that. It's not really a Rashi here. It's more a Machshavah here. But what Rashi's telling us is that when, I'm interpreting Rashi, is if that plate were to, let's say, be on the table, and then you go over to that plate and say, well, should we go to war or not? And they would light up, but the answers would come. It would create a voodoo magic-based system rather than listening to Hashem's voice. And Hashem's voice gets conveyed different ways, whether at Harsinai, whether through the Aaron, speaking to Moshe, whether through the Urim and Turim. So if that plate is always on the Kohen and always tied to the Aphod, 
then you, you, you contextualize it that it's part of the base of Mekdash and part of Hashem's communication in the base of Mekdash. Once it gets separated, then it becomes oracle-like, it becomes foreign, and that's why the description of that condition is used with the word called Yizach, because it'll be so foreign to our belief system and our theology, that's what has to be avoided. Again, I don't know, there's no, as far as I can tell, there's no Chazal that directly approach what this is. There's a lot of Rishonim, but I don't think the Midrashim or the Gemara's, but I think this is part of the issue. And to me, Rashi gave me the tip-off, the fact that he interpreted the word Yizach to be far. Okay? That's number one. The other Rashi is a lot easier, but it's important, again, because everyone gets lost in Tetzavah because it's just so hard to read Tetzavah. So I'm trying to highlight a few Rashis that have broader sweep and broader implication. Okay, I said before that each of the stones corresponded to one of the Shvatim, but then there's another place that the Shvatim were actually... Uh, um, reflected and, and symbolized, these are these two big gemstones on the shoulders of the coin. Now, on these two gemstones, as we just read, because it's in the Kriya of Shani, so on these two gemstones, you had six on each gemstone. And then the Torah writes, Kitoldosam. That they're written, Kitoldosam. I'm sorry, let me find the Rashi. Kitoldosam. So, what does that mean? So that's just two things. First of all, the sequence on the stones were the sequence by which they were born, not necessarily the sequence by which they marched in the desert. So Ketol Dosam means that on one stone there's Reuben, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Dad, Naphtali. That's the way they were born. Okay, Dad and Naphtali were born after Yehuda, if you read Pashas Vayetze. Now the other stone, God, Ashi, Sachazun, Yosef, Vayetze. So it's not really any organized writing. The only organization scheme is how they were born. And not only that, Rashi says, but there's another shout-out, but... Binyamin on the stones was written Malay with two yuds. Binyamin with a yud between the mem and the nun. Even though in his normal way we, we we drop the last yud, but when he was named, he was named because of the naming differences between Rachel and Yaakov. So he was named Binyamin. So you actually added the yud, and it came to be twenty-five on each else. Okay, so why is this important? Why is this important for the Tarashis tipping us off to say that unlike the stones of the Choshen, which were not organized based on the way they were born. The stones of the ephod were organized the way they were born. Unlike the stones of the Choshen, which they were written differently, they were written on the ephod based on how they were named at birth. So I'm not right now going to discuss, maybe over Shabbos we'll talk a little bit about the difference between the stones on your chest and the stones on your shoulders. Why shoulders versus chest? But it sounds like we want to relate to the Shvat in two different ways. When we're thinking, we want Hashem to think about us, Lizzy Karon, they're both called Abnezi Karon, Lefnei Hashem, and of course, every Avnezi Karon Lefnei Hashem is not that Hashem should remember. Hashem doesn't need a reminder. Hashem needs a wake-up call. It's that we should imagine Hashem remembering and will remember. And therefore, our identity and our consciousness will be enhanced. And then they say, oh, I forgot who the Jewish people are. Oh, good thing I've got those uh, cliff notes. I can look at the stones and remember their names. It's that we should more deeply identify with our national identity and then Hashem will have Rahmanas on us. Sounds like there are two ways we want to identify with the Shevet identity. By the way, it's interesting. Again, I'm not going to talk about it now. You think there should be some mention of the Avos, right? There's no Avos in the Beit Dekura. At some point, there should be the name Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov. That's also something to think about. Why is it the Shvatim not having Yitzchak and Yaakov? The answer is maybe because there's nothing on the Beit Dekura that is three. <laughs> there are two stones, 12 gemstones, but you could reverse the question. Why doesn't Akadosh Baruch Hu craft a part of the Big Tekuna that would have three components to it that you'd have in the Yisrael So it's interesting that you don't have them on these begotten. There's food for thought. But what Rashi is highlighting is that if, let's say I belong to Naftali. Let's just pick Naftali out of a hat. 
let's say I happen to belong to Shevet Naftali. So I want to identify with my current Shevet status. So remember, Shevet status is something that receded once the ten Shvatim were exiled. So we really didn't think about what Shevet you're from, because everyone's from the same Shevet. But if you turn back the clock and you, you know, spoke to someone before the Aseris HaShvatim were exiled, that's how I belong to Dun. And this is our Dun identity. Dun had a separate base in Agadol. There was a, a whole, like, federal state versus a, a local identity. We don't really have that anymore. Maybe we'll be retrieved and restored one day. So you want to, let's say, identify with your contemporary identity, which shape of that belong, belong to Dan. That was the Choshen. But you also wanted to identify with your ancient, ancient great-great-grandfather, Naftali from Parshas Vahetze. Like, who, who is the person that helped build Am Yisrael, helped build national identity? So this combination of Avne Choshen and Avne Efog tried to capture both. The stones on the Choshen, they represent a contemporary. They, they were spelled the way the, the, they were, um, the way they were spelled during that day. But the Avnei Zikaron and the Ephod, they were spelled and they were organized based on what happened in Parshas Vayetze. And so much of asking Hashem to remember us is identifying with what it means to be us. And what it means to be us, what it means to be a Jewish person, is to be both identified with your contemporary Jewish condition, like what does it mean to live in the year 2024, what does it mean to be part of this war, what does it mean, but also not to ignore, and sometimes it seems, it's part of what hopefully the new guys here will start to feel, is living in Gush and living in Israel and being here, you start to identify more with Tanakh, and you start to identify more with Barashas, and you start to identify more with our Abos, and especially now, they're obviously fighting a war that's part of the challenge of Jewish history and the challenge of our Avos, so it's, and I don't mean the Avos now, now I'm talking about the Shvatim, but I mean the Avos of Barashas, so the stones had different targets. The stones on the Choshen, they were the contemporary Shvatim, the Jewish people marching through the desert, they were arranged based on the contemporary situation, whereas the stones on the shoulders, they were meant to evoke Barashas-like identity. So just have one more minute, okay, what time is it, how long have we been speaking for? Yeah, just one more minute, when Aro, as I spoke about last night in the Shir, all the Beit Kahuna were Mechaper. But when the Torah describes the Begid, which was most Mechaper, that was the Tzitz, so the Torah doesn't use the word Mechaper. It uses an important word. Vinasa Aharon. Aaron will carry. Vinasa Aharon es avona kadashim shiyakdishu Again, just halachically, the Tzitz is Mechaper for all sorts of breakdowns in the base on Mikdash. It's called Tzitz Meratza. If the carbon uh, was brought the wrong way, and it's brought Betuma, the Tzitz is Meratza. So Venasa Aharon is Avon HaKadoshim, the sins that have to do with Korbanos, it's Avon HaKadoshim. Why does the Torah write Venasa? should have written the Salach, the, 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 the Salach Aharon, the Chippur Aharon, we have the word the Chippur Aharon. What does the word Venasa mean? So Rashi tells us, first of all, it means Slicha, you know, even though it doesn't sound that way, it means He will atone. But he says... But still, we have to account for the literal meaning. Why does it say Vinasa? Aaron no say as Hamasa shall avon. He carries the weight of the sin, and when I carry the weight of the sin from the Beis Hamikdash, it turns out the Beis Hamikdash doesn't have that sin in it because I've carried it away and I've effectively been mechaper. So the target, the end goal, is kapara. But the mechanism for kapara is like I take something that you're carrying and I take it somewhere else and I take it away from you. So I don't have enough time because I want you guys to have some breakfast. It's getting late. Think about what does that say about leadership? What does it say, with that word that we abuse so often, what does it say about leadership if Aaron's mechanism for being mechaper, for Am Yisrael's sins, is literally to carry the weight away from the base of Mikdash and carry it somewhere else? What does it mean by carrying? We say, Hashem is no se'avon v'feshe v'chata. 
What do we ask Hashem? We ask Him not to be mechaper, but to be no say. And what does it mean for Aaron to be carrying it away from the base of Mikdash so that base of Mikdash is clear of any sins and the conduit to Hashem has been cleared and has been opened in the Korbanus Kavit HaLashamayim. It's late already, so I don't want to be too... Once I start talking about it, it's going to be hard for me to stop, but think about that. So the three Rashis in this very, very technical parsha. Rashi number one, the Choshen can't be dislodged from the Eiffel. Why? We don't really know, but the word Yizach may be a tip-off. There's something very theologically problematic if the Choshen... It's almost as if you're moving to another religion. And that's why the Torah warns you, don't move to that other religion by using a word that comes from another culture and that comes from another religion. Again, always try to connect substance to form. I'll just give you another example. Sometimes the Torah conveys this idea through gematria, through numeric quantification. Why does the Torah choose gematria as a device to convey? Like, how does the math help us understand? The Torah could have given us many different vehicles to convey the information. Why does the Torah use a math form, a math formula? Okay? Number two is the difference between the way the Shvatim were organized and written on the Eifov and the way they were organized in the Choshen. The Eifov was Kitol Dosam. And the two Nafkaminas were how Benyamin was, was spelled and how they were organized. Hashem wants us to identify not just with our contemporary Jewish identity but with our ancient Jewish identity. The way the Shvatim were born in Vayetze, not just the tribes of Parshish Sefer uh, Bamidbar. Finally, when Aaron sits, it's mechaper for breakdowns in the base of Mikdash. It says, Venasa Aaron Esavona Kadashim. It means he atones, but it's conveyed in a way that you're carrying it. What does it mean to carry sins of another person? How does that change our view of leadership and of kapar? Okay? Have a great day, everyone. Shakur. Get some breakfast. <laughs>